welcome all of our campuses to our brand new series, week one. The series is called Better. Come on, let's just welcome all of our campuses right now. Man, we're excited to learn about relationships. To kick off our series, we're so excited. I've got a friend who's not actually new to Church of the King. He was here 10 years ago. He and his lovely wife. By the way, can I have her stand up? Is that sure. all right? Dr. Leslie, would you just stand up? Come on now. By the way, he's going to explain the whole name thing. It's really good. <laughs> but I want to just say we are so excited. It's a, it's a five-week relationship series. And uh, Dr. Les Parrott was here 10 years ago. I want to share just a little bit about him and kick right into the message. We're excited to have all the campuses with us live. Uh, Dr. Les Parrott uh, is a great committed Christian who is a psychologist, a number one uh, New York Times bestselling author whose books have sold more than 5 million copies. That's a lot. Uh, titles include Healthy Me, Healthy Us. Uh, that's the one that we're going through. The Good Fight. Here's one. This is really good. Saving your marriage before it starts. Yeah. Isn't that good? By the way, we use a lot of his materials for all of the engagement couples, pre-marriage stuff. We use a lot of their assessments. Yeah. Really, really good stuff. Uh, co-founder of the Better Love. You, you didn't mention my book, Crazy Good Sex, and your wife wanted me to get you a copy of that. Episode. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> She was at the five o'clock last yeah. night for that reason. <laughs> Amen. <No. laughs> you really did write a book. On I did that. do. That's yeah. right. Okay. Oh, also the control freak. She wanted me to get you that book. Control well, freak. So, yeah, yeah. That would be for Pastor uh, Doug Armand. I'm never going to be invited Campbell. back. <laughs> you guys are going to love this. All right. So here's a couple more things. Um, um, I'm done. All right, so we're excited. Come on, let's stand up. Let's all stand up. Welcome, Dr. Les Parrott. Come on. Thanks, Thank you. Thanks, everybody. Thank you very much. Thanks so much. Are you guys glad to be in church today? I am, too. Man, what a church to be in, too. This is incredible worship and that testimony. I'm just loving this. So, hey, um, yeah, my wife Leslie is here with me, and we do have the same name. It's very confusing, but that's the way God planned it. I'm Leslie, and she's Leslie. And it's even more complicated because I'm the third. That means my dad's name is Leslie. <laughs> and my grandfather's name is Leslie. And I'm Leslie, and then I married a Leslie. So when we had our first son, <laughs> we named him John. <laughs> John Leslie. <laughs> Couldn't leave him out. So uh, hey, this is gonna be, we're gonna talk about relationships. I'm so honored to kick off this series that you're a, a part of here for the next few weeks and relationships, man, that is the hub of the wheel. The number one source of happiness in our life is relationships. It doesn't matter what you do for a living, what your job is, how much money you make, how many toys you have, uh, where you go on vacation. The number one source of contentment and fulfillment and happiness is our relationships. Are you in a relationship of any kind? Anybody in a relationship? Raise your hand if you're in a relationship. Yeah. This, this message is for everybody. We're all in relationship, right? And in fact, let's just make sure we all have the right attitude when we think about talking about relationships. Just turn to the person next to you, help them out, and just tell them this. Say, you really need this message. Would you? You feel better, don't you? We all feel a little bit better. We all need the message, that's for sure. 
And, uh, you know, when it comes to relationships, we don't do a lot of teaching, you know, in, in traditional ways about relationship, if you think about it. When you went to, to high school or college, probably didn't have a course on relationship. You can't major in relationships. You can marry, major in marriage and family as a counselor, but you can't get a, a degree in friendship, right? You can't get a degree in uh, parenting, right? But how, there's so much research on this. Why are we not teaching people? So Leslie and I thought years ago at the Christian University where we were teaching, we thought, why in the world don't we offer a class like that? We'll call it Relationships 101. Now, if you know anything about courses and university campuses, you know you don't just dream up classes and start teaching them. You gotta get them approved by the provost and the dean and the committees and all that. So we put a little proposal together. We listed out all the lectures that we wanted to give and uh, we made our little proposal. We wanted to give a lecture, for example, on how to keep family ties from pulling strings. Do you know that the home that you grew up in taught you more about relationships than anything else you'll ever learn the rest of your days more than any sermon or seminar or book will for good or for ill. In fact, imagine if you could go to your childhood home and take a, a kind of a, an emotional tour through there and you'd end up in the attic, at least the figurative attic if you didn't have one, and you'd find all this memorabilia from your childhood, but over in the corner you'd find this little dusty trunk and You've never seen it before, and you'd open it. It has, has a placard on the side with your name on it, and it says relationship curriculum. Can you imagine? And you'd open that thing up, and you'd find all these file folders of all the, the classes, you know, that you, you took, knowingly or not, about relationships. Maybe you'd find a, a file folder, and this is a course you took called uh, Feelings We Don't Talk About in This Family, right? Or maybe you pull out another one, and here's a course you took called uh, Advanced Blame Shifting and How to Do It, you know? We all learned different lessons in our homes going on. So we wanted to lecture on that. We wanted to lecture on uh, friendship. I mean, man, can you imagine life without friends? And I think that's gonna be part of the, your series. You have coming up a, a, a terrific message on friendship. You're not gonna wanna miss that. But friends, you know, there's two different kinds of friends from my perspective. There's friends of the heart and friends of the road. There's some people that we're friends with and, and uh, man, we're tight for a while. And for whatever reason, life circumstances change and, Whatever happened to him? Whatever happened to her? You know, those are friends of the road. And then we have friends of the heart, and it doesn't matter how far apart we move or what happens and changes in our lives, we just stay together. We keep in touch through social media and all the rest, and when we get together, it's like we were never apart. We just pick, that's friends of the heart? How do you have more of those, right? And so we want to lecture on that. And what do you do when friends fail you? Has that happened to you yet? If it hasn't, put your seatbelt on, because it's inevitable. You are on this planet long enough, you're gonna have a friend that fails you. My, one of my philosophies of living is that we all have our own private Gethsemane, and we all have our own Judas. And we wake up someday and we say, how could he have done that to me? I trusted him with my money. I trusted her with my secrets, right? How could they have done that to me? What do you do when friends fail? And uh, we also thought, we ought to talk about dating and love, right? How to fall in love without losing your mind. That's a lecture we wanted to give. It just seemed like some of even our brightest students, it was like their IQ would drop 10 points as they were falling in, in love. How do you make those wise decisions? And so we wanted to, to lecture on that and, and talk about, uh, even like with friendship, we want to talk about uh, breaking up in a dating relationship. Most college students go through that and there's good ways to do that and trust me, there's bad ways to do that too. What if you're the heartbreaker? What if you're the brokenhearted, you know? We thought all these different realms of relationship we wanted to lecture on. Ultimately, the, 
biggest relationship of all, how to relate to God without feeling phony. All these different things, and, and we put it on the proposal, we gave it to this committee, and they looked it over for a little while and talked amongst themselves and came back to us and said, mm, thanks, but no thanks. We said, why not? They said, well, other schools don't have classes like this. I said, well, maybe they should. They said, well, there's not even a textbook for a class like this. I said, well, write one. They said, well, there's not enough academic rigor. I said, what do you mean? You know, it just doesn't have enough academic rigor there. I said, we'll put some information in that confuses the students, if you like, you know. <laughs> and they said, no, thanks. It's just not going to work. And so Leslie and I left, and, and, uh, but we didn't want to give up. We thought, let's retool it, bring it back to them, see if we can get it through one more time. And we did that, and once more, we got shot down. We went through this three times during that academic year. And finally, on the third round, they said, okay, we're gonna let you teach the class, but only under these conditions. And they listed out five of them. They said, number one, it'll need to be pass-fail, so it doesn't impact anybody's GPA. Number two, it'll need to be a general elective. In other words, not required for graduation for anybody. Number three, it'll be taught as an overload. Every prof understands that. That's a class taught in addition to your full-time teaching responsibilities. Uh, number four, it'll need to be taught on your own time schedule. That means after all the other classes have been scheduled and put in rooms and, and figured out on the calendar how it works, if you can find an empty space to use, you can use that. And, and, and oh yeah, and then finally they said you'll need to teach it without compensation. So with that pat on the back, we set off to teach this course, <laughs> Relationships 101. And um, we just hoped, we, we found a room like at, at six o'clock in the evening six or seven o'clock in the evening on Mondays, and, and uh, not, you know, great time for undergrads to take class, but uh, it was an empty space, and there was 15 chairs in the room, and we thought, even if we can get half of them filled, at least we'll be on our way, and so we put the, you know, it was the course descriptions in the catalog, and we just waited, see if any students would sign up for this class. It's not required for anything, and uh, after, I don't know, less than like three hours of the first day of registration, the registrar called my office. He said, hey, doc, he said, we got to move your class. I said, the relationship class? He goes, yeah. I said, oh, what, you need the space? What's going on? He said, no, no, no. He said, we just realized that you didn't cap it. I said, what do you mean? He said, you filled out all the information online about the course, but you didn't uh, limit the number of students that could take it. I said, what does that have to do with anything? He said, 350 students have signed up in the last <laughs> 45 minutes for this class. <laughs> I said, keep talking. And he said, well, the computer just automatically moved you into the auditorium, moved the class that was in there into the smaller classroom that you had. I said, keep going. And, uh, and that was, uh, man, that was over 20 years ago that that happened. Doesn't it speak volumes about the hunger, the thirst we have for information on healthy relationships? We love teaching that class. These students come in, and in fact, students would even come in on certain nights, like breaking up, and they'd sit in the, in the aisles. They weren't registered for the class because they couldn't get in. We are hungry for information on healthy relationships. On the very first night, we tell these students, it's up to you whether they take any notes, you know? There's no pop quiz. There's no final exam. It's a pass-fail course. You'll get out of this experience, whatever it is that you'd like to get out. Except tonight, we tell you, on the very first night, we tell them, we want you to write down at least one single sentence. And we tell them this sentence has the potential to revolutionize every relationship you have, whether if it's mom and dad or your brothers, your sisters, right? Your family members, maybe it's your roommate, maybe it's your teammates, maybe it's your potential soulmate. 
This, if you can allow the truth of this sentence to kind of seep into the cortex of your brain and live out through your spirit, it has that kind of transformative power. And they all get poised with their pencils and their keyboards. And we finally give them the sentence, and I want to give it to you this morning. Here it is. If you try to build a relationship with another person, before you've got the difficult work, before you've done the difficult work of getting whole on your own, all your relationships become an attempt to complete yourself. Let me say it again. If you try to build intimacy, if you try to build a connection with another person, before you've done the difficult work of getting healthy, getting whole on your own, all your relationships become an attempt to complete yourself and they fall flat. Guaranteed. Why? Because nobody can complete you. Ultimately, just want to remind you on this Sunday morning that your compulsion for completion is met in a relationship with your Heavenly Father. And sure, we help each other. As Proverbs says, we help each other on the path to wholeness as iron sharpens iron. But it's not that person's responsibility to make me whole. It's not my friend's responsibility. It's not my wife's responsibility to make me whole. They aren't a shortcut to doing that. That's the work that I do with the Holy Spirit in my life. And I know you've heard this message because I know your pastor. And he preaches this message. And, and, and we, we preach the message because it's true. You get this relationship right and the others get easier, right? You've been hearing that since you were a little one in Sunday school if you've been going to church all your life. But I just want to remind you of this message this morning because it is so important when it comes to relationships. You know that your relationships can only be as healthy as you are. Did you realize that? Your relationships can only be as healthy as you are. Therefore, one of the most important things you will ever do for your relationships is work on who you are in the context of them. Are you two a couple over here? Can I borrow you for just a quick second? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Come up here. Are you married? Yeah, come on up here. I could, how, how long have you been married? How long have you been married? 12 years. 12 years. Perfect. Come right down here. You don't even This is going to take five seconds. What are your names? Randy and Rochelle, perfect. Just stand there and face the audience and stand like a, you gonna dance? No. Yeah, you got, I know. And, and just see if you cannot touch her for just a second. And uh, yeah, so just, just face the audience, yep, and stand a foot apart. And then just lean your shoulders, that's three feet. There you go, come in a little bit more, there you go. And then just lean your shoulders in on each other and then gently put your heads together, all right? And what do we say when we see a couple like that? All right, you're making a six. Sit down. Okay. Right. <laughs> Go ahead, sit down. Give me a hand. Yeah. I could, I could take you to college campuses all over the country, because I speak at a lot of them with Leslie, and, and we see couples that walk around like that on those campuses and our own, and uh, we call them A-frame relationships, all right? And if they aren't literally walking around, at least figuratively they walk around like that. And what happens when you have two people that are kind of leaning in on each other and they walk around, and we all do go, oh, isn't that sweet, isn't that wonderful, isn't that romantic? And, and they lean, but what happens in a relationship like that when one person, figuratively, stumbles? Yeah, the whole relationship goes down, why? Because it's what we, in psychology, we call it an enmeshed relationship. It looks romantic and wonderful from the outside, but it's not, it's not the healthiest of relationships, right? It, it, it's the kind of thing, and I know this is a tough pill to swallow because we've learned these 
from fairy tales when we were little and then older when we get married, I mean, when we're adults and we uh, are even already married. Remember the movie um, Jerry Maguire? You guys remember that? Classic movie, right? One of the most quoted movies in all of cinematic history. And so many lines, show me, right? Everybody that's a romantic remembers another line. What was it? Yeah, you complete me, right? And you remember Tom Cruise, he's fallen in love with, with this, this, his character, the, the, the uh, Renee Zellweger's character, and um, they're having a tough go of it in their first year of marriage, right? Something Leslie and I can identify with, by the way. Very first line of our book, Saving Your Marriage Before It Starts, says we never had pre-marriage counseling, but we spent the first year of our marriage in therapy, and that's the truth, so we can understand. And they're having a tough go of it, and he comes home from this business trip, and he uh, stumbles up the steps out of this taxi cab and gets into their little house, and and he realizes there's a little support group going on that his wife has pulled together. And there's a half dozen women in there commiserating about how miserable men can be. <laughs> and he walks right into the midst of it and he says, I'm looking for my wife. And he puts his luggage down and, takes, and, and he sees her there finally behind the kind of lampshade. She kind of leans forward. And then he launches into this incredible speech. I mean, I don't know how many writers it took to craft this thing, but it's incredible. And then he gets to the climax where he says those three words, you complete me, and with such pathos. With such, can any guy, any guy want to stand up and just say it how Tom Cruise said it from your seat right now? I didn't think so, but I'm going to give it my best shot. He looks at her as if she's the only woman on the planet. All these other women in the support group, their jaws are down to the floor. They can't believe the words come. And he looks at her and he says, you complete me. It's <laughs> exactly how he said it. <laughs> I'm no psychologist or anything, but if you, well, I am actually, but, uh, <laughs> but if you believe that somebody else can complete you, you're setting yourself up for serious heartache. Because nobody can do that. Nobody is a shortcut to do Now, I'm not saying that we can't help each other on the path, but ultimately, and, and by the way, we're all in process, aren't we? Did anybody wake up this morning and go, oh, I guess this is the day. <laughs> I'm whole. <laughs> Completely emotionally, psychologically, spiritually, relationally healthy, right? We're all in process, and we need each other to be in that process. But ultimately, we have to take the responsibility for that. I want to talk to you about three things that will help you understand how you can make progress on this path toward wholeness. The Apostle Paul outlines them in Ephesians. If you have your Bibles, you can look there, and they'll be on the screen in a moment. But um, three things. And uh, these three things, by the way, I did a lot of research. Leslie and I did a ton of research on how do you know if you're healthy, if you're whole emotionally, psychologically, spiritually. And uh, we came up with all, all kinds of stuff, and, then, and we do our best to, you know, to put the cookies on the bottom shelf and whittled it down to these three things. And, and uh, literally... Uh, publishing these things, and then realized one day I was on an airplane reading my Bible, this Bible right here, and I came across this passage in, in Ephesians chapter 3 and 4 and realized, oh, apparently the Apostle Paul discovered these things before we did, and uh, in the very same order that we talk about them in a book, we had to redo the book, and, and so I want to outline these for you, and, and if you're taking notes, you can jot these down. Here's the first thing. If you want to get healthy and whole, you got to get a lock on what I call your profound significance. You've got to feel deep down in your bones how significant you are in the eyes of God. 
Do you know that God loves you as if you're the only person on the planet to love, as St. Augustine said? And I know some of you know that because you've been in church for a while and you've heard the messages and you know, and maybe you've even memorized scripture, Romans 8. There's therefore now, what? No condemnation for who? Those of us in Christ Jesus. And you can sing about God's amazing grace, but it's another thing to feel it deep down in your bones that God loves me, that I'm so profoundly significant in his eyes. Oh my goodness. And when, when you do that, everything changes, right? We saw a living testimony of it on the screens earlier in the service, right? Everything changes. And, and if you struggle with that, to accept God's grace into your life? Let me ask you, tune in to the, this is a suggestion, tune into the single most important conversation that you're gonna have all day. In fact, it's the most important conversation you probably have in your life. You had it yesterday, and you're gonna have it tomorrow. You had it this morning before you came in here. You're gonna have it this afternoon during brunch. In fact, you're gonna have this conversation while you sleep tonight because it never turns off. It's your internal dialogue what you say to yourself about you. And if you could pull a little kind of chip out of the back of your head and slip it into your laptop and have it tabulate your internal dialogue for the last 24, 48 hours, and it would simply categorize it as positive self-talk or negative self-talk, which one of those buckets would be most full for you at the end of any given day? If you're like most people, it might surprise you, if you're like most people, you discover that 73% of your self-talk falls into the negative bucket. We know this from research at UCLA. 73%, but not the person who has a lock on their profound significance. Not the person who knows that God loves them. Listen to this, what Paul writes about God's love. This is just incredible to me. He says, I ask him that with both feet planted firmly on love, that you'll be able to take in with all Christians the extravagant dimensions of Christ's love. The extravagant dimensions of Christ's love. Reach out and experience the breadth, test the links, plumb the depths, rise to the heights, and then listen to this sentence. He says, live full lives, full in the fullness of God. He's talking about our compulsion for completion, right? That living full, full lives in the fullness of God's love. And... Uh, that's the starting place. That's the launching pad for emotional health. If you haven't got that nailed down, the others are pretty difficult to come by. Second one, if you want to write them down. The second one, this, this first one, by the way, had to do with your relationship with God. The second one has to do with yourself, your relationship with you, okay? And it's not your profound significance. It's what I call unswerving authenticity. Unswerving authenticity. This is about being true to you. I can't tell you how many times I've had somebody come into my counseling office struggling with that proverbial disease to please. You know what I mean? Some of you are going, yeah, I know exactly what you mean, right? Because if you suffer from the disease to please, you walk around on this planet going, man, maybe if I did this, so-and-so would like me. Oh, maybe if I accomplished this goal, I'd get into that group. Maybe if I, I chose this pathway to go down, these people would kind of invite me to their, their stuff. And, and, maybe, and, and you live your life just thinking, I, I've got to, you know, be somebody else in order to be accepted instead of who God wants you to be, to be true to you. It has to do with, you know, your purpose. Remember that book that came out that revolutionized so many of our lives years ago that Rick Warren wrote, 
purpose-driven life. That's what this is all about, understanding the path that God wants you to follow. And look at this verse. Look at this verse in chapter four, just a a few uh, sentences later, what I just read, and this is what Paul says. He says, I want you to get out there and walk. Better yet, run. I just love it that he wrote that. I want you to get out there and walk. Better yet, run on the road God called you to travel. I don't want any of you sitting around on your hands. I don't want anyone strolling off down some path that goes nowhere. Are you doing that this morning? I hope not. Are you asking God to to clarify your purpose? Help you choose the right path? Because it doesn't matter what anybody else says, what anybody else thinks, what they say behind your back, and you will have haters, you will have critics, you will have people that detract and say, oh, you, you shouldn't be doing that. But when you know that God has called you to travel this path, don't just walk, run. Run down that path in spite of what anybody else says. Unswerving authenticity. It's one of the hallmarks of health. Third thing you can put on your list. We talk about profound significance. That has to do with your relationship with our Heavenly Father. Unswerving authenticity has to do with your relationship with you. And the third one is what I call self-giving love. And this has to do with your relationship with everybody else. Self-giving love. This is when you get a lock on this. This is when you will love the life you live because it gets pretty exciting because here you begin to put into practice one of the greatest relationship lessons ever taught. You begin to put into practice one of the greatest, the greatest sermon ever preached. We call it the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said so many radical things in that message, right? But he said something. In fact, this little passage that I want to bring to your mind, uh, it it was driven home for me in, of all places, Rome, Italy, a number of years ago. Leslie and I had a bunch of airline miles that were going to expire. And and I I, I remember I came into the kitchen. I said, Les, we got to use these miles. They're going to go to waste. She said, that's the last thing I want to do with the kids at this age. And she said, call your dad. Go someplace with him. I said, oh, that's not a bad idea. I called my dad. He's living in Phoenix. And I said, Dad, um, talk to mom. See if... She'd be all right. You and I could go to Rome, Italy uh, for maybe about five days. That's what I got on my calendar. And uh, just, I've never been. I know you've been there and you can show me around. And how's that sound? He goes, oh, son, he says, sounds wonderful. Let's do it. I said, well, here's the deal. I'll pick up the airfare and you can buy everything else. (laughs) And it it turned out all right for me. (laughs) And we had a great time. We went to the Vatican and we went to all the stuff, the Colosseum, everything else. And And one night, though, we were sitting in the dining room in the hotel, and and Dad was reminding me of something I remember studying as a seminary student. And uh, it was in the Sermon on the Mount, and it was during that time, there was something, a practice that was taking place that Jesus used as a sermon illustration. Every little kid of a certain age was required by Roman law to carry a soldier's backpack, a Roman soldier's backpack, one mile in either direction from his home. And so every kid that was kind of smart and with it would measure out that mile and then put a stake in the ground, put his initials on it so he knew exactly how far he'd have to carry that backpack to give the soldier a little bit of a rest, right? It was such a common practice. You'd find these, these little markers all over the, the lanes and, and so forth. And, and so Jesus used it as a sermon illustration. He said, hey, you want to do something radical in your home, in your relationships? He said, try this. He said, don't just walk the first mile. Everybody expects that. 
That's because you're a decent human being. You walk the first mile to clear your conscience. He said, walk another mile that nobody sees coming. See what happens. Have you done that lately? Have you been intentional about walking the extra mile? And I know some of you are going, ooh, that sounds, uh, I got to Google that. That's going to be expensive. I mean, how do you walk the extra mile? Let me tell you something. You're going to have the opportunity to walk the extra mile before this day is done. Because we walk the extra mile in big, extravagant ways sometimes, and sometimes in pretty mundane ways. Tuesday nights, I take out the trash. Been doing that a long time in my marriage. Tuesday nights, I take out the trash, and uh, that's the first mile every time I take out the trash. I walk the extra mile every time I take out the trash, and I don't say anything about it. <laughs> you follow me? We have all kinds of opportunities to walk the extra mile. And when we really get a lock on this, we also, if you're kind of wondering, do I do that, you know, the, the real measure of it is summed up in a single word, and that word is empathy. That capacity to put yourself in somebody else's shoes and recognize somebody else's perspective. I think it's the single most important skill set that we have as human beings in our relationships is empathy. To see something from somebody else's perspective. I wish we could bottle it. I wish before you left today, hey, you go, hey, out here in the foyer, make sure you pick up your bottle of empathy. It's a spray bottle, by the way. You can just walk around your house, you need some more empathy for me, right? Wouldn't that be incredible? And I need more empathy. Of course, we can't do that, but uh, man, the Holy Spirit can help us do this when we're intentional about it, to see the world from somebody else's perspective. You know, my, my, I tell my counseling students this all the time. Huge difference between sympathy and empathy. Sympathy is standing on the shore and throwing out a life ring to somebody that's struggling in the water. And everybody in this room would do that because you're decent human beings. That's sympathy. Flows with the adrenaline. Empathy, much more risky. That's diving into the water and risking your own well-being to bring that person back to shore. And not everybody does that. In fact, that's so rare. What do we call those people? Heroes, right? And it's just as heroic when you do that in your relationship with your kids, with your spouse, with your colleagues at work, maybe with a total stranger, right? Empathy. It's risky. Why? Because it'll change you. You won't look at them the same way. When you begin to really understand them and what their experience is, you won't feel the same way about them. It will change you. I always say to Leslie, when somebody like, thinks, you know, I'm not driving well on the road and they honk at me or give me a lovely hand gesture or something, I, I tell them if they only knew me, they just wouldn't do that because I'm such a good guy. They just need to empathize with me, you know? Um, need that spray bottle on the road. Uh, empathy is transformative. And we can do that again in big ways and little ways. How are you doing on that front? Self-giving love. Listen to what Paul says uh, about this. He says in, in the very next verse, verse three, he says, pour yourselves out with, he says, pour yourselves out for each other in acts of love, alert at noticing differences and quick at mending fences. You have some fences that need mending, interpersonal fences that need mending, self-giving love. If you try to build intimacy with another person before you've done the difficult work of getting whole, getting healthy on your own, all your relationships become an attempt to complete yourself and they'll fall flat, guaranteed. Why? Because nobody else can complete you. 
You can look all over New Orleans, all over Louisiana, all over this country. You won't find anybody that has that in their job description because that's between you and the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this incredible opportunity to be in this house, to worship you today with people that love you and, and want to be more like Jesus. And so help us to do just that. Help us to get a lock on your love for us, how profoundly significant we are. Help us to get a lock on this thing that I've called unswerving authenticity, to be true to the calling, the path that you want us to travel. And, and ultimately, help us to give ourselves away to one another. We know this is the best way to live. And we thank you for showing that to us in your word. Amen. Man, what an awesome message today. I hope God spoke to you something specific. If he did, I'd love to hear about it. Maybe take a moment to type it in the chat room right now. And speaking of that, I would love to hear from you and get to know you a little better. In fact, I'm joining you from my kitchen right now. And I'd love for us to imagine what it would look like if we had a meal across the table from one another. Maybe my wife and I had you over for dinner or, or just a cup of coffee. What would we talk about? Maybe you just made a decision to give your life to Jesus. If that's so, man, congratulations. We honestly would love to talk to you about what it means to follow Jesus and begin this journey of following Christ. Or maybe you're dealing with something in your life and you need prayer. We would be honored to pray for you and stand with you as you're dealing with that and really stand in faith with you as your church family. Or maybe you just want to get to know me a little bit better. I, I know I would be honored and privileged to get to know you a little better. Whether you've been coming for a while or it's your first time, I really would love for us to have a, a, a deeper level of connection and, and really relationship because we believe that we're meant to do life together and I'd love to, to meet you. So your next step is to text the word CONNECT to the numbers 822 822. Really what that allows me to do is to follow up with you and have a conversation with you. Maybe have a little bit of a taste of what it would look like if we sat down across the table from one another and really begin to connect uh, as a church family. Would you do that? Would you text that word connect to the numbers 822-822 right now? Or you can click the link in the chat room. Another great way for you to go deeper in relationship here at Church of the King is by going through what we call Next Steps. It's happening next weekend, step one. And so I would love to personally meet you there. We'll be having it at all of our physical locations, of course, here online on Zoom. Somebody asked me one time, man, I live in Kansas. How am I supposed to go through that Next Steps thing? I don't know. And I told him, no problem. We have Next Steps on Zoom every single week. And I would love to meet you at step one on Zoom next week. So go ahead, go to churchofthekingcom slash next steps and reserve your spot for step one happening next week. And I would love to meet you there. Well, with that being said, our service is coming to a close. We loved having you here at church with us today. And we can't wait to see you here next week as we continue our brand new series week two. It's going to be amazing. Can't wait to see you there. Have an incredible week and we'll see you soon.